Morning, friends. When Kim and I joined our small group, they were going through Genesis. From memory, they were up to chapter 12 or 15, one of the covenants of Abram in Genesis when we joined. Anyway, we went through all 50 chapters of Genesis and then decided to keep on going into the next book, Exodus. This week, we were up to chapters 11 and 12 of Exodus. It was beautiful timing. In previous weeks, we've waded through each of the nine plagues. This week, we were at the tenth and the final trial. Although we'd not planned it so, the tenth plague is the foundational narrative for the Jewish Passover, which is currently on right now from the the fifth to the thirteenth of April. And the Jewish Passover is the setting for the Christian Holy Week, when Jesus, as the Lamb of God, was beaten crucified, died and buried in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, a tomb that had never been used before. Of course, something else very significant happens this coming Sunday, but let's not get ahead of ourselves, lest we skim over the price paid today by our Lord or its meaning and significance for you and me. So back to our small group. As I said, this week we're in Exodus chapters 11 and 12, The text takes you through Yahweh's instructions to Moses and then repeats them. So they're crystal clear. And then the well-rehearsed events are actually played out. Let me read you some of Exodus chapter 12 from verses 21 to 28. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, Dip it into the blood in the basin. Is this getting very boomy for you? Would I be better with a handheld? Would that... Or... Just bear with us. How's that? Does that sound better? That feels less boomy. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Amy and James. Um, Let me start that passage again. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for all your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and both sides of the doorframe. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he'll see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway and he'll not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. The instructions Moses was given centred around the selection of a Passover lamb. It had to be male, unblemished and spotless. And once it had been selected, it was to be brought into the family home. Imagine the children's delight with a little lamb in the house. They probably named it Flossie, their pet lamb. But the instructions continued. The lamb was to be in the house for four days, long enough to become somewhat attracted and attached to it. And then it was to be slaughtered. 
Uh, Moses says in Exodus 12, 5-7, The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of your door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. You see, the lamb that was to be slaughtered was to be done so at great cost to the family. The sacrifice was personal. It wasn't a lamb per person or a lamb for all of Israel, but for the household. The whole household would feel the weight and cost of this sacrifice. And then the animal was slaughtered and the blood placed on the lintels and doorposts. It was to be a visible sign um, across the entranceway to each house. As you will soon see, obedience or disobedience to this instruction was going to have very significant consequences for each household. Moses was given specific instructions about the body of the slaughtered lamb as well. Let's read from Exodus 12, 8 to 11. That same night they had to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with its bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with head, legs, internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt and sandals on your feet, and staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Sacrificial lamb that would be the basis for Israel's freedom was also the prototype of the sacrificial lamb that would free all of humanity. The blood would be a visible sign of God's protection for those who were marked by it through faith. The only thing that mattered to God was the blood of the lamb. Our small group discussed um, and thought into this and applied it that logically that meant that an Israelite family that didn't put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost and lintel would have lost their firstborn. But equally by implication, an astute Egyptian family that saw something in the Egyptian, uh, that saw something in the Israelites and copied them would have been saved of the terror themselves because literally the only thing that mattered was the blood of the lamb. I trust you can see today on Good Friday where this is going. Stick with me. The lamb was to be cooked with bitter herbs. Normally you would use succulent herbs to marinate and adorn a meal. But these herbs were bitter to remind the Israelites of their slavery under the yoke of Pharaoh. The poet after the grief and loss of Jerusalem a thousand years later would use this verse from Lamentations 3.15. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. And importantly, 1,500 years later, after the first Passover, the Messiah would be offered bitter herbs as he was strung up on the cross. Mark and Matthew record it. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, a bitter herb, but he did not take it. The lamb was to be roasted completely. Not a bit of blood was to remain. The lamb was to be eaten completely. Nothing was to remain until morning. The Israelites were to take all of it. This was not a half meal. You either took it all or you may as well have not been taking any of it. There was no option in these guidelines to be, as it were, half pregnant. And this was uh, to be eaten on the run. You'll notice the instruction with cloaks tucked into belts and sandals on feet. 
This was not a meal to recline into. This was a meal that set them up for escape from bondage, eaten in haste. Now, there were some very clear instructions to have only unleavened bread, bread made without yeast, what we might call flatbread. Now, before you get into all the instructions about unleavened bread, and if you'll pardon my pun, it falls flat, unless you understand that leaven or yeast was a metaphor for sin and impurity. It makes sense if you think about Jesus' teaching about yeast when he said in Luke 13, again he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. The principle here was that it only takes a little bit of yeast to make the whole batch rise. And in a similar way, it takes a small amount of God's reign for the community to flourish and the kingdom to grow. What was scandalous, though, was that Jesus was turning a metaphor typically used about sin into something good and wholesome. But that's what he did time and again. He played with and he challenged the theology Israel had developed if it stopped people coming towards the Father. So back to the first Israelite Passover. Yeast was something that needed to be kept out of bread because it reminded them of contamination or sin and would affect the whole batch. So in verses 14 to 20 of Exodus 12, in what feels like nagging and repetitive explanation, the Israelites were told not to have yeast in their bread. So another way, that said they were not to bring the old into the new. At the start of chapter 12, Moses had already instructed that the whole calendar was going to change because of these events it would be so significant. 12.1 says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. So a new year was created for a new calendar because they were being delivered by the blood of the Lamb and they were to walk with haste out of bondage into the freedom of their new world. During lockdown, there was a little bit of sourdough making that went around, a bit of a craze. In order to make sourdough, you need a starter. Now, you can make your own starter, but that takes time. So many people took a pinch of someone else's starter and cultivated their own from that. They took the old and they grew it into the new. Well, that's fine when you're crafting sourdough, but when you're a people coming out of bondage in a foreign land, you don't want even a pinch of the old because a pinch of the old would grow and infect the new. You want only new. You're entering a journey of being made new, a new nation, a new people. In fact, they will, become in, they will be in the desert for the coming 40 years where they will be strenuously formed and tested in the school of obedience and worship where their whole identity would become in Yahweh, not Pharaoh. And they weren't to bring a pinch of Pharaoh into that new world. When they were in Egypt, the men became famous for making bricks and the women for making bread. It was the Israelites who made the best bread and bricks. So interestingly, Yahweh sent them into the desert for 40 years where they couldn't make bricks and it was Yahweh who provided manna bread each morning. We tend to develop a fair amount of our identity through our vocation, and God stripped them of that. Remember, their mission wasn't just to escape Egypt so they could be free. 
It was so they could freely worship the Lord. Here's what Moses asked for in Exodus 5. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and he said, This is what the Lord God of Israel says. Let my people go so they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. And then it happened. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. A terrible scene. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites, go, worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds, as you've said, and go. And also bless me. In Egypt, there was mourning and wailing while the Israelites left hastily. No looking back. Time to move forward into the new, the new year, the new land, the new people. And note Pharaoh's words after kicking them out of his country. He then asks for a blessing. Remember, Pharaoh was meant to be God, but he had been beaten devastatingly by the one true God, Yahweh. So now he sought blessing from the greater one. In effect, Pharaoh bowed down to the greater one. Such was his humiliation, as he said, and also, bless me. So we can learn from this. The blood of the spotless lamb was the single point of difference between death, bondage and tyranny and life, freedom and worship. Everything rested on the blood of that lamb. And we can also learn that once the Israelites walked out of Egypt, they were to live right. No more leaven, no more sin and bondage, no more identity in Pharaoh, New life because of the blood of the Lamb. A new calendar. A new changed people. So we approach the cruel, unjust death of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross today. A day we call Good Friday, which is also in the Jewish Passover. All that happened and was implied on that first Passover was now repeated This time, not with the pure, innocent, unblemished lamb, but with the pure, innocent, unblemished son of God, Jesus Christ, the lamb of God. And interestingly, in time, the calendar would again be changed. So we would now date things not from the first Passover, but from the birth of the lamb of God. And this time, the instructions about unleavened bread as a symbolic reminder of not letting the old ways of sin and bondage accompany us into the new world are replaced with complete freedom and from sin and bondage through confession of that sin to a gracious and compassionate God. The one who says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Our promise becomes the assurance of eternity in the presence of the Almighty because he sees the perfect achievement of his Son, the Lamb of God on the cross, in those who have invited him into their lives. If we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour, invite him into our life, then the Father does not see imperfection. He sees perfection, the righteousness of his Son in us, 
Paul said, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And Paul also summarised in that book of Romans, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it was written, the righteous will live by faith. Today, we remember that everything changed when the Son of God shed his blood. A new way was opened where, by faith, we could be forgiven and received forever into God's loving embrace. The famous old hymn says it so well. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is why John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, said this. And the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All that happened and was implied was fulfilled in the life and death of Jesus on the cross. Paul summarized it this way. Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, the Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. A few chapters later, Paul wrote these words. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. If I could invite the stewards to now come and distribute the bread and the juice, I'd like us to hold both the bread and the juice, if you can, together. Just hold them um, as, as we remember the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. And we'll have a few moments here and as you hold the bread and the cup I invite you into a personal space where you can reflect about what this means to you Take time with you and the loving Father
The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, betrayed, took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Loving God, pure, unblemished, innocent, lamb, lamb of God, who took away the sins of the world. In quietness, in reverence, in prayerfulness, in gratitude, we thank you for the sacrifice you made on this day those years ago. While we know what is coming in a couple of days' time, we are overwhelmed today with the sacrifice that you made. The, the pain, the humility the sacrifice, the injustice, all that you went through so that once and for all a way could be made possible for your creation to be in harmony with the Creator, your Father. We thank you for today. We don't have words but we do in our hearts and minds thank you as we reflect on the sacrifice you made and what was achieved as you died and shed that blood once and for all for us. We thank you, Lord, that in your dying you overcame death and you made a way possible for us to have life in you and the gospel was able to touch us we thank you in Jesus name Amen